Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for flying with us. I'm at Alex on the plane. Hi. Hi. We had dinner in Bangkok. We went back to his hotel. When I woke up in the morning, he was so alive. You think they know you're lying? Just can't stop thinking how that guy in 3C died. The flight attendant, she knows more than she's saying. The FBI wanted information about you. I'm going to keep digging. Do not do anything stupid. Hello and welcome to Still Watching The Flight Attendant. I'm Vanity Fair Senior Writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson. We are in the midst. We are wrapping up our our main Still Watching uh, show, which is The Undoing. We also have upcoming for you a couple episodes about the uh, Disney Plus show, The Mandalorian. Uh, my my friend and yours, Anthony Bresikin, will be joining me for that. But Richard and I thought we would just drop uh, one or two confections in your lap uh, towards the end of the year here uh, with The Flight Attendant, which is an HBO Max show uh, starring Kaylee Cuoco. And it is streaming on uh, HBO Max. You can get the first three episodes will drop on Thanksgiving. So if you don't have other plans this Thanksgiving and you very well may not, maybe you want to spend three hours with Kaylee Cuoco. And then the next three episodes will drop 
weekly and then we'll do so Richard and I will do one more discussion of the show um, at the end of the season we have watched up through episode three we're going to talk about that eventually but first we want to talk about like if you haven't watched the show yet we're here to like give our recommendation why you should watch the show and then you're going to press pause you're going to go watch it you're going to come back and we're going to talk about Rosie Perez among other things so um, (laughs) (laughs) so Richard um, I think this is actually your idea but I was really super into it so why why are we doing the flight attendant well, I mean, for one thing, it's like a good, easy watch. Like, it's just a fun, you know, kind of thriller comedy. Um, and, you know, it's it, if you're not doing like regular Thanksgiving with your family, this is sort of the mashed potatoes, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> calorific, uh, uh-huh. but, you know, you'll Buttery. It. you yeah. ate it an hour later. Um, uh-huh. But um, I think for us, like, you know, working um, in, you know, covering entertainment as for a living, the thing that really intrigued me was the Kelly Cuoco factor, you know, um, because this is an actor who uh, was on, I think, pretty much the biggest comedy of the new century. Absolutely. Um, made a boatload of money along with, you know, Johnny Galecki and Jim Parsons and um, Mayim Bialik, <laughs> um, <laughs> and among others. Um, and yet, I feel like because of the way people watch TV now and who watches network television, she's not, like, famous famous. She's yeah. not Jennifer Aniston. She's not even Courtney Cox, you know, or Lisa Kudrow. Um so she has all of this, um, you know, all of these resources. She never needs to work again if she doesn't want to. But like, you know, she's an actor and she's she's interested in doing things. And she's now voicing Harley Quinn on a, on a, an animated series. And now she's doing this. And I think because she doesn't have that like that 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 instantly recognizable iconography kind of grafted on her the way maybe Jennifer Aniston did that she can do something different and surprising without all of the sort of attention and pressure. Um, so it's just really interesting to watch what an actor does after their huge thing ends and they have more, yeah. you know, freedom to explore. And I think that what we've seen so far, like, I think it's paying off. It's really fun watching her in this new, um, certainly grittier vein than um, the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I think some people, when they get their, their, you know, they hit that lottery and they get that huge show or that huge movie franchise or whatever, it is so fascinating to watch what they do with their money. I was talking about this a little bit on Little Gold Men um, this week, just to, just like sort of previewing that we would be doing The Flight Attendant. And I was like, it reminds me, what Kelly Cuoco is doing with her money reminds me of like, I mean, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson obviously took like a like a much high art, a high art track with their money. Um and or like Steven Yun, like what what people do with their big money in interesting ways uh, is compelling to me. And and what Kelly Cuoco is doing here, both with the Har- Harley Quinn animated show, which is so good, and she's fantastic as Harley Quinn, and she's an executive producer. And with this project, she uh, you know she optioned the book, you know she's going full full Reese on this basically, <laughs> yeah. right? She optioned the book, she's executive producing it, and she's starring in it, and like I just um. And it's great. It's so fun. And, uh, and it has like, you know, it's mashed potatoes with like, what, like green onions? I don't know. There's a little <laughs> bit of green in there, you know, yeah, just like yeah. a very little bit of green that, um, chives. Uh, yeah, chives. I want, <laughs> yeah, that's better than green onions. Thank you. Um, I do cook. Um, yeah, that, that there's, there's a few sprinklings of chives in here. So that, that, you know, that, and there wasn't Harley Quinn as well. And I just think that like, she's just picking, she's picking smart projects, picking smart people to work with. And, um, and I've just like, you know, nece- not necessarily would have thought 
to watch Kelly Cuoco after whatever the Big Bang Theory, you know. Um, and she didn't, you know, she didn't go the the old kind of '90s, maybe earlier 2000s um, route of like, well, I'm huge in the sitcom and now I want to do movies. Like she's done a couple small movies, but not really. So she's sticking with TV, which is interesting. Because, and I think that reflects like the new realities of like where actors, especially uh, female actors are finding interesting work. It's not, you know, unless you can break through into like Marvel or whatever else, like might as well stick with TV because there's like a much more um, possibility that you're going to do something interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she absolutely is. But you, you're right to compare. Like, I think she has said that Jennifer Aniston is like a comedy icon for her, that like she she wants to like chase whatever it is that Jennifer Aniston has. And I think that she like she's doing that and then some like I think she's she's uh, her, her comedic timing's really good. She's incredibly good in the show, like really, really good. It's a mix and- of the good girl and cake. Yeah, <laughs> if we want to compare it to Jennifer Aniston roles, uh, there's like something a little bit more fun in there, uh, right? Aren't aren't the sure. good girl and cake like bummer? Uh, yes, they movies? are. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, friends, with, I'm going to put friends with money in there too. Um, but but yeah, uh, something that Alan Zeppenwall said in his uh, review of the show, which I thought was really uh, dead on, was that sh- her likability, and I don't usually love that word, but like her likability as a performer is so important in the show because like their her character just makes a lot of messes and causes a lot of scenes and is incredibly complicated and messy and so you want to be along with her for the ride and in you know in, in my view you are so um yeah, so yeah which is like a really crucial thing um a, a, a quality that you know only a few people possess that like you know i'll i'll stick with this person through uh whatever um annoying things that their character does exactly exactly right um is there anything else you want to say um it's it's a murder mystery um i suppose but it's more like a international cat and mouse it felt like to me sometimes i watch um films and tv shows and wonder if the creator was just like i feel like taking a trip somewhere so like this is filmed partially (laughs) like oceans 12 (laughs) yeah (laughs) so this is filmed partially in bangkok i feel like they went to rome as well um i kind of think they did too yeah Yeah. i think they went to rome uh maybe not everyone but i think kaylee and rosie at least went to rome um and uh so that's that's a uh, fun and you know especially in this year where we can't travel <laughs> it's mm-hmm. fun to like uh fly around with Kaylee Cuoco but um yeah and, and then the supporting cast is really good as well so you know uh, like I just can't think of a a like a better thing to occupy your time than this mashed potato of a show uh and that's a compliment so should we talk more substantially about it Richard yeah all right so go watch the show if you haven't already then come back and we'll talk about the first three episodes um starting now hey i'm brian stelter host of inside the hive from vanity fair this week with the help of dan adler and olivia nuzzi we're going inside the media circus swirling around donald trump's criminal trial People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. At eBay, you'll always get that feel of real because your fashion purchase will be backed by authenticity guarantee. Whether it's a knit bag, a must-have watch, dreamy jewelry, or fire sneakers and fresh streetwear, every step will feel authentic, every flex will feel real. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay authenticity guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. All right, Richard, this is my favorite thing to do with you uh, around shows where there's a murder. Mm. <laughs> who, who, who done it? Zosha Mamet, her character, Annie. Oh, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I think in, in the first episode where uh, our hero, Cassie, wakes up in the hotel room and Alex, the one night stand she was with, is, you know, his throat has been cut, I think, and he's very much dead. She calls her friend, who's a lawyer in New York. And the friend knows where she, Annie knows where Cassie is. And she's like, yeah. how did you know that? Which is like, I've been tracking, you know, I, I track you on my phone. Um, and that is used later in, in episode three. You know, she, she, she knows that Cassie's in Westchester, doesn't know that she's at Alex's Funeral. You know, memorial service. Memorial service, but, yeah, yeah. But, and I just think like, well, that's a weird thing. And maybe it's just some little joke about like how we use technology now, but there's something kind of shady about her, something that seems very well connected. You know, she kind of threatens the, um, the receptionist, you know, uh, she says, you really don't want to lie to me. You know, I don't know. There's something a little off about her. She's always seems a little, maybe one step ahead of Cassie in a way that doesn't, you know, an, oh. uh, someone who was completely not involved wouldn't be. So that's, I, 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 that, I picked that horse episode one and I'm after episode three, I think I'm still maybe a little bit less forcefully sticking with it. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want to hear Mike? <laughs> uh, yes, please. Rosie Perez. Ooh. Um, she's obviously, you know, if you've watched through episode three, you know that she's obviously caught up in some like weird corporate espionage thing that she's doing with her husband's company um, involving flash drives and weird meetings and stuff like that. And there is a there's a possibility that the that the simplest explanation, which is that she is like bored and trying tired of feeling like she's inconsequential. It's so funny watching Rosie, Rosie Perez play someone so insecure. I don't remember ever seeing her play someone this insecure. Um, yeah. you know, that's not usually what she goes for. So it's, so it's fun and interesting to see her do this, but, um, but you know, that her character feels like she's quote unquote, just a housewife, uh, or whatever. She wants more than Oyster Bay, she says. Yes, I think. yes. Yeah. So, like, she wants the money or she wants the excitement or whatever it is. But but here's here's what made me suspect her, but maybe I should start looking at other flight attendants instead. At the beginning of the season, when they were like, when the, is it the feds? I don't, I can't remember who's on her tail, um, are like laying out the photos of the flight attendants that they need to interview. They're talking about how flight attendants are often like, use as agents because they can travel around the world and in and out of places so easily that they are like often um, secret agents <laughs> or assassins. And uh, so then I was like, Ooh, Rosie Perez, or maybe it's her other friend who goes to the memorial service with her in this episode, or maybe it's the woman who inexplicably seems to hate her. Who's also on their team. I don't know, but uh, I, I'm putting my money on a flight attendant. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I, I think, and also I think the way that um, Rosie Perez's character uh, Megan is like seems, especially in episode three, like kind of obsessed with Cassie. Yeah, yeah. to a kind of like there's a little menace in it when they're at yes. the bar in in Rome, and she's like best friend, like kind of corrects the bartender. Yes, you know, and then Cassie seems kind of put off by that, but doesn't really have the time to deal with that because she's stressed about other things. Um, but I don't know. I think they're just setting Megan up as like. It's not just with the intrigue with her husband's company, but like her relationship to Cassie is just like, I could see her sneaking into that room and killing him out of some sort of weird, I don't know, plot to like get closer to her or something. I don't know. Single white female sort of thing. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There's something slightly unhinged about uh, Rosie Perez in this role and it's fun, which is fun to watch. Uh, Yeah. I thought she was great in that bar scene where she's like, she's smiling. She's like, oh, I'm intruding, you know, and she's like, no, it's like it is. There is this menace there. Um, And and like that uncomfortable awkwardness around someone who has latched to you and you don't hate them, but you're also like, could this be a little less? Thank you so much. Um, I want to talk about some, uh, something that I think is really ingenious about the way that this show is set up, which is this, the ongoing use of Michael Huseman, whose name, once again, I, uh, let's say Alexander Sokolov. I can do that. Uh, the Michael the- Hotman. <laughs> I've given you this already. Um, the, the murder victim who can, who lives on in, uh, Cassie's mind palace. And it is, I think, a pretty ingenious technique for allowing her an inner monologue and also allowing us along with this guy in her head to peel back the layers of her own like trauma that informs her messy behavior. Um, what do you, what do you make of the, of these uh, scenes with, between the two of them? I th- it's, it's tricky for me because on the one hand, I kind of don't always like devices like this because they get, they kind of bend reality too much where it's like, so is she just standing stock still in real life, just having right. one of these reveries, you know, sure, like, sure, yeah. I don't know how like enveloped she is in these dialogues. Um, but like, you don't cast Michael Hotman and not use him. Yes. <laughs> you know, well, I, I thought it was like a, okay, one like and done, cameo kind like of maybe, a, maybe one and done, but so, like, know, he's not that famous yet. <laughs> I used in season one of Haunting of Hill House. Come on. No, uh, you're, true, right. you're true. right. You're right. You're um, right. But I do think that, you know, especially in episode three, when she's at his family home, you know, his parents' home, and it the, the show pauses for a moment of kind of sadness, like, I think that it is being used in an interesting way. And I also kind of feel like, especially in the third episode, like, they're like cre- creepily falling in love, even though right. he's dead and this is all a construct of her mind. Um, and I just feel like that says something bigger about Cassie as a character in that, like she does not live in reality in a lot of different ways. She's drinking constantly to escape reality. She flies off all the, all the time. She doesn't really live anywhere. Um, and of course, so she, of course she falls in love with her, her yeah. imaginary dead friend, you know? Right. This guy that she had like one great night with, except that it ended in murder. And also she can't remember a lot of it. So she's just sort of painting it over with whatever, you know, glamour she chooses to remember. Yeah, I I love that, that she's like, 
that in this episode she declines uh, to hook up with this, you know, Italian bartender that she has on on the line because she's like, I've met someone. And you're like, baby, no, that's a dead guy. Um, so, yeah. And I, I, I love that. I, I, I love that. She is fixated on on something she definitely can't have because reality of anything is too painful for her. And that um, she because she's spending this time inside of her own mind thinking about how how to get out of this thing or what to do next, she is forcing herself to reckon with memories in a way like, you know, it's sort of we've seen this before in like uh, sharp objects done done um, sort of more exquisitely in sharp objects. But like um, but this is a clever device on how to do it. And she has to explain herself to this guy and thus is explaining herself to us. And that I just think that that's really clever. Well, yeah, because we also do need to see like her more human side. It can't I mean, it, it could just be all of her like scrambling around and like fucking things up but like yeah that would get a little tiresome i think you need the roundness and like in a show that's moving as quickly as this show is it would probably be hard to get that to happen actually in the the real world of the show so like these fantasy interludes like yeah it's 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 a even though it's kind of a, a device that in other shows i might think is kind of extraneous here it's weirdly kind of efficient storytelling yeah and the and the clever way in which the like visuals of the hotel room keep shifting um yeah. you know where you don't really have to talk about it that much but it it adds this fun element just like a as you say a really efficient way to add this surreal quality to to the whole thing i'm 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 a i'm a big fan of it um i want to talk about a bit of recasting which i think is really interesting did you did you read anything about the recasting of the show no tell me so Sonoya Mizuno, who um, folks might know best from her work on Devs, uh, or she was uh, – what else has she done? She was in um, – uh, Ex Machina. Ex Machina. And, and Beast. Uh, Mani- Maniac. Maniac, um, not Beast. Yeah. What's Beast? I don't know. <laughs> um, so she's great. She's fantastic. And she was initially uh, – cast as the it's Miranda right the 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 mysterious woman who's being right. played by Michelle Gomez and she, and Michelle Gomez uh joined the cast um in August of this year wow um so they they had a shut they had a covid shutdown uh and they had two more episodes to go and then they went back into production in August and when they went back into production in August they recast this character now she doesn't really like show she's very periphery until what the end of episode two, I think. Yeah. Um, and there's only, you know, uh, six episodes total. So it's not a huge wash necessarily. And she's periphery in this episode as well. Um, but it, they're very different performers, Michelle Gomez yeah. and Sonoya Mizuna. And like, um, and one, the write-up that I read in Deadline said, the you know, our plotting and our characterization of that of that character changed. And so we thought we needed to recast, which might just be a diplomatic way of saying we didn't like this other person's performance. But that, I think if they had replaced her with a similar type, I would have suspected that. But Michelle Gomez is so different. Yeah. Like, Sonoya is, is she's, she's, you know, she's younger. Um, and I could see it the way the show was described to me by a Warner exec actually a little while ago is he was like, it's our um, killing Eve. 
And I was like, ooh, that's not how I would have thought of the show at no. all. But if it were a cat and mouse between Sonoya Mizuno and, and Kelly Cuoco, maybe there would be something that felt a little closer to Killing Eve and it's like overt sapphic sort of tones and stuff like that. Um, but with Michelle Gomez, who I love, who is such an odd performer and I really, really love, um, you have something that feels very different to that. So I don't, I don't know yeah. what thoughts you have there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wonder if Gomez was just a little bit more sinister and that, you know, and that's the kind of tone they were trying to go for, you know? Um, and yeah, I mean the killing Eve thing, that doesn't really track for me, but <laughs> um, in either form, it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I trust that like, that character Miranda will become something more significant in the the, the, you know, the, the back half of the the show, um, if only because like when Cassie is at Alex's memorial service, like his family or especially his mother seems to react pretty intensely to her name. Yeah. Um. So like, I guess they were basically like this 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 character has to be this kind of lurking presence for the first few episodes, and then it's going to become something more significant. And like, how do we want to tell that story? How do we want to do that build? And maybe, I don't know, maybe something, there's something about looks where like Gomez looks a bit more like anonymous, but also sinister. I, I don't know. But um, whatever they're doing, I'm curious to see like why they, I mean, because Michelle Gomez is like kind of a big name, like to fans of Doctor Who and like, I think particularly Sabrina. people like, in the, Sabrina, <laughs> I think certainly people in the UK, like, yeah. um, you know, so I, I, you know, again, like kind of like Michael Hotman, it's like you don't bring her on without giving her something interesting to do. So I'll, I'm very curious to see what that is. Can I yeah. also talk about a casting thing that of I just course. actually mentioned? So Alex's mother is played by Anne Magnuson. Do you know who yeah. Anne Magnuson is? She looks familiar to me, but no. So she's like an actor. She's been, she was like in a sitcom in the nineties. She's been like kind of bit parts and other things, but like more notably, she was this huge downtown east village club kid uh performance artist in the 80s and 90s and she ran she was a manager of club 57 where like keith herring and madonna and cindy lopper and klaus noma used to hang out and she like ran the place and she did events and all this stuff and so she's like this huge like new york city uh kind of alt queer art world's fixture for years and now is like on picard the star trek show in in a recurring (laughs) role and doing this and it's just like what a life that woman has had so it's just really cool to see her pop up it's probably her only episode i don't know but like it was just I, I saw her and I was like, well, who is she? She looks familiar. And then I looked her up and sure enough. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the show is like doing some interesting, thoughtful things in casting like the, you know, not the, you know, obviously Cuoco cast herself. But like further down the, the call sheet, um, I think they've they've chosen a curated a really interesting ensemble of people. Um. Yeah, I was going to say another casting thing that I saw was that B.B. Neuwirth was cast in the show. And I have watched five episodes and I unless I am really misremembering, I don't remember seeing her. So I'm actually wondering if she was meant to be in the Anne Magnuson role and they recast her. Um, I don't know. Oh, they said they, they cast BB Newworth for a couple episodes and I haven't seen her yet. So uh, once again, I might be misremembering something, but Is I don't it know. BB Newworth I... playing Rosie Perez. Is that what's happening? <laughs> it's BB Newworth as TR Knight. Um, so let's talk about uh, TR Knight, shall we? Uh, who plays uh, her brother, uh, her put upon brother on the other side of the phone? I feel like I haven't seen TR Knight in anything super substantial since 
Grey's Anatomy. Am I wrong about that? I'm looking. He's been in things. He played J. Edgar Hoover in the Genius Einstein thing and Max Jacob in the Genius Picasso. So 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 Nat Geo likes him. But like <laughs> uh am I wrong? He's been kind of um I guess he played Reince Priebus in the Comey rule. Interesting. Um, yeah, he's like done things, but it's not stuff that's really popped out. And even in this, like you know, he's mostly just been on the phone. Like, I know that he's going to be, I think he's going to have more to do, you know, later. But, like, um, yeah, it's interesting seeing him uh, because both he and Cuoco, their shows were really, like, hitting their stride at the same time. Yeah. Like, in the mid-2000s with Grays for TR Knight and obviously Big Bang for Cuoco. And she stuck with it and he really didn't, you know. I think he chose to leave that show. Um, and, you know, I think he like did some theater and I think that's kind of his like first love. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe this is one, um, mid aughts TV icon throwing another <laughs> a bone. <laughs> What's well, really, I, I didn't mean, I didn't mean like TR Nuts. I've never, I haven't seen him in a long time. I just meant like, I, I actually, I think it's fun to see him again. I really oh, liked yeah, him totally. on Grey's. Um, I think it's fun to have him as this character that like, so, like, basically the show plays a fun trick on us, right? Because we meet Kaylee Cuoco and she's, like, she's she's cute, she's nice, she's smart, she reads, she's a flight attendant, She she's fun-loving, she loves life. Yeah, she drinks a lot, but, like, that's fun. And then you're, like, eventually you're, like, oh, that's not... For me, it's, like, it was in episode three at the memorial service when she's just starts like housing flutes of champagne that I was like, Oh, this is just, you know, and and we're getting the the flashbacks of, of her father introducing her to alcohol. And we see a flashback of her brother take a beer from her or something like that. But like, it's, it's a, it's a smart trick for the show to play on us where we're like, what a fun character. And then you're like, Oh, what a, what a damaged character. And you, and you get that through her brother's caution around her. Yeah. And, even through like Jojo Mamet's uh, concern uh, for her and stuff like that. And uh, I, I just think that that's like a clever, clever turn of, of the screw. Yeah. She has to be fleeing from something, you know, yeah. and there has to be a sort of deeper pathos to her character, to the show, um, to balance out the silly stuff, you know, and I think we're starting to see that develop by episode three. Um, again, they wouldn't cast TR Knight if they didn't have more for him to do at some point. Right. So I'm assuming that this visit will happen. And, you know, um, who do, do, is champagne normally served at funerals? <laughs> I've never been to a Westchester memorial service. Uh, so enough. I don't that, know. It, that, that hosted by a, a former East Village, you know, yeah. <laughs> performance art goddess. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I like the way that they are now threading in like some of her backstory because um not that there always needs to be some textual reason for why someone's an alcoholic or why someone's an addict or why someone is kind of a mess you know it doesn't always have to be sourced to some definable thing um but you know i think it's it's it, it, it will be interesting to get to know her more and also interesting to get to watch cuoco who's very good at the flighty nervous you know panicking doing stupid things mode but I'm I'm curious to see her kind of get to tease out uh, you know other sides of the performance, and I think I don't know what we've seen so far. I think it's going to be pretty successful. I guess I should say that BB Newworth is still listed on Wikipedia as a character, so we might just see her yet, um, or who knows what you know what antics COVID played with with their plans. Uh, we'll we'll find out. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Um, 
I just I think it's like it's one thing to do something that feels like frothy, frothy, but wobbly. Do you know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. plenty of things that are like and I'm not saying The Flight Attendant is a perfect show. I'm just saying like it's its foundation feels really solid. Like they just have a lot of smart things that they're doing with this very frothy story that they're telling. Um in terms of the devices, in terms of the slow rollout of, of certain information. Um, and in terms of the cat, I mean, like Jojo Mamet, Jojo Mamet is just, she's fantastic in this show and she's just fantastic always whenever she shows up. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to see her doing this and I, I just want her in more of everything well, to I, intimidate people. Yeah. Go ahead. I really like her in this more like, slick authoritative mode you know i I think that like obviously shoshana and girls is like her i you know iconic performance for you know people who watch that show which actually wasn't that many people all told um interesting ratings wise um but but and that was like a very chipper kind of manic you know um innocent in a way um and the joke was always when she broke that innocence and said something really cutting or you know whatever um but this, I, I just like her a little, like, relaxed and kind of cooler, I guess. Yeah. Um, and she's really, and she's good at it, which I guess, you know, which which suggests that she is an actor with range and wasn't just playing, you know, her one performance type on Girls. Right. Um, yeah, and that the, 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 like, mania that was in Shoshana is, is still used here. It's just, as you say, yeah, like, more coolly directed in certain um places which makes her such a good ballast it's like okay these two i buy that they're friends yes but like she obviously cassie is such a disaster uh and annie is not and um and i think the two performances complement each other well but then we find out in episode three that like you know in addition to like whatever shady lawyer work she's doing um annie has this whole other secret with this boy for this guy that she's been seeing and cassie knows nothing about maybe because cassie hasn't really been paying attention to anyone but herself for the whole show <laughs> but um yeah so like everyone's got little secrets um and i'm curious to see where where annie's go again i do think that she is behind all of this uh, i love i love that cassie cassie's like yeah because I would know if she had a boyfriend and her bo- and and the boyfriend's like, yeah, she doesn't define things or whatever. And I was like, I think the takeaway here is that Cassie's a really bad friend. That's the, right. that's a, absolutely the takeaway of this. Um, and, and is telling her something, her, her repeatedly telling herself something that may have been true five years ago. Exactly. Like, we're so close. We tell each other everything, but like hasn't up you know, done any of the upkeep to, to actually right. make that still true, which is a exactly. common, you know, thing with not just with people who are, you know, addicts or whatever, but like just, friendships like over and into your adulthood like it's like oh i haven't actually like called that person but i still keep calling them my best friend you know (laughs) right exactly exactly right um hey i don't mean i don't know what else is there anything oh well i will say i do like what i mean by like um solid underpinnings for this show is stuff like the the two feds right we've got this this woman and her like younger white male partner and uh, their dynamic is not the central dynamic of the show, but it is an interesting dynamic. And, you know, it just informs every time you cut away to them. I'm not like, oh, we're we're missing Kaylee or, or whatever it is. It's like I'm interested in, in what's going on over there as well. It just feels like, you know, and I'm interested in what's going on in Tiara Knight's home. And I'm interested in what's going on in Rosie Perez's home. And I'm interested in going on with Soja Mammon and her cute boyfriend and their ramen date. Like I'm interested in all the like you know, 
satellite storylines that are happening here. Yeah, it's a well, it's a well, like, tended show, you know, like everything, yeah. every ca- character has their little bits and, you know, interesting facets and each performance does and they cast interestingly. I like with the two feds um, that it's two like Broadway people. Uh, Merle Dandridge, you know, has been in a bunch of Broadway shows and, um, uh, Nolan Gerard Funk, who was on Glee, but like I know best as he was in, uh, he played Conrad Birdie in the Bye Bye Birdie revival, oh. but also featured John Stamos and Gina Gershon. Um, Perfect. Which, and, and he was like a very sexy, uh, Bye yeah. Bye Birdie, uh, Conrad. Um, so they're both, you know, from that world. Yeah. I think, Joanna, this is a testament to what interesting acting actors you get when you film in New York. I, I'm, I will agree with you. Um, I can see. Nolan Gerard Funk's like uh, Conrad Birdie hair, like it, it's there. I see it every time I close my eyes, <laughs> and I have for many years. Amazing, amazing. I mean, I think that's I think that's all I really want to say about the show. I just, I just, I really like it. I guess there's not like anything too crazy in depth. I'm not gonna uh, analyze shot by shot though i do think like some of the cutaways the editing on like her the static around some of her memories the cutaways to the hotel room and stuff like that i think all of that is is really clever and works really well i think this is the first hbo max show you know harley quinn is now on hbo max but it was like on the dc platform or whatever so i don't think of that as an hbo max show i think this is the first hbo max show that i like love uh have you have you fallen in love with some of their other offerings um, no, I mean, I love life was like interesting and charming in a way, but like kind of slight. I, I, I know that timing is what it is and they, you know, they should have launched with this show, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't, I mean, they're not going to push their huge product launch because, you know, COVID derailed filming on one of their series, but like this would tie so well into like a, a, a debut, you know? Um, but I, you know, I hope that I, I think just like anecdotally, it seems like a lot of people I know are sort of interested in it. And a lot of people I know are sort of like finally figuring out the difference between HBO and HBO Max and all that stuff. And um, I'm using the service a lot because it has a really good catalog of movies. It's a lot of Warner movies. And, um, yeah. you know, I'm obviously watching Justice League over and over and over again to really study <laughs> that film. Um, no, I will never see that film again. But um <laughs> Yeah, I I think this is going to be going to be something for them, which is which is cool. Yeah, and it's interesting because I would say the other two hits, TV hits going right now are The Crown and the and the Queen's Gambit. Would you say that that's accurate in terms of like shows that people are obsessing over right now? Yeah, I mean The Undoing to some extent, but that's of course the still watching bump. You're that's why you're seeing that. Um the but, you know, the old Richard and Joanna yeah. <laughs> injection of viewers, sure. But I also um, think that yeah. like like you said at the top of the show, like this is escapism. You get to travel, you get to, yeah. you know, have a little um adventure with very low stakes. I mean, it has a really interesting companion in um uh, a show that will soon be premiering on HBO Max. It's new home in in Search Party. Uh, oh yeah, That's, another New York show I, where someone you know scram- people scramble around the city <laughs> trying to like avoid you know capture getting or caught for murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I thought about Search Party a lot when I was watching this. Um, no, but I was just thinking that between the Queen's Gambit. Uh, the Crown and this, you know, you've got three shows that have women, uh, white women, but women who I would describe as, uh, I'm going to steal this expression from another podcast, Hot Mess Express. Mm. Um, they are extremely messy heroines. Uh, if we pick Diana to be the heroine of Crown season four, which why not? Right. And then um, you've got Anna Taylor-Joy's performance in The Queen's Gambit and you've got 
Kaylee Cuoco, what Kaylee Cuoco is doing here. There are different flavors of that, yeah. but it, it's it's a similar vein, and it's just I it's really refreshing to me because there was, of course, an era when we were most fascinated by you know the male antihero, and I wouldn't necessarily call these women antiheroes, female antiheroes. I would call like. Um, Sherry Appleby's character on Unreal, a mm-hmm. female antihero. I wouldn't call these women antiheroes, but they are just like messy in a way that that women haven't always allowed been allowed to be messy, um, and in a way that invites you to still root for them, which I really appreciate. So. Yeah, and I think, and crucially, on this show, yes, there are people who get frustrated with her flightiness and her drinking and whatever, and I think that is going to be one of the sort of that, that's going to be the 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 way to the show's pathos is, is like her kind of taking stock of where, where she's kind of gotten to. But I don't think the show is like shaming of her and it's not shaming of her. Like the fact that she likes to have sex and like do whatever, you know, that's not the problem. The problem is that she's doing it uh, kind of recklessly, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There, it's not the, the drinking's not the issue. The sex is not the issue. It's actually the, the careless way in which she treats the, the people who are supposed to matter to her most, yeah. um, is, is an issue and, and a little thing called murder. So yeah, it doesn't feel like one of those horror movies, like you're being punished for a one night stand or for having a drunken night you can't remember. Yeah. It does not feel punitive to her. It feels like empathetic, towards her the show feels like it's rooting for her um to to figure it all out um, right probably drink less but not necessarily stop drinking unless that's what she needs so you know um yeah i'm a, I'm a fan i'm a fan of empathy tv i'm a fan of messy heroines i feel like we're in a golden age of that um Hopefully I write that think piece before someone smarter than me does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Richard, uh, until we, uh, you know, go back in the air with Kaylee Cuoco, where can folks find you? I'm going to have a hot time with hot man in Bangkok. I, <laughs> I'm screw, screw quarantine. I'm here. They're doing very well in Thailand with the disease. So uh, that's where I'm going to be in my head, of course. Um, and I'll be tweeting for Rylaws and writing at VF.com. Joanna, until we revisit the Second three half of the show, the flight attendant. <laughs> Where can we find you? Uh, I will be knocking over large statues in scary lobbies um, and then running away. Uh, or you can find me at vf.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. We will be back next time you hear us. We will be talking about the conclusion of The Undoing. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be back for more flight attendant. And happy holidays. And we'll see you then. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see... Whether I can read the Iliad again, whether I'm that literate, I mean, the jury is out. 
I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> 